back to the Weighing In Podcast presented by Track Wrestling. I'm your host, Alex Steen. On the line, as always, David Mirakitani. David, how you doing? This is episode number 111. 111. It feels significant, man. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Didn't get to see you last weekend and didn't go to a wrestling tournament, so it's not quite as good as last week, but there was still some outstanding wrestling around the country. Yeah, for sure. For sure, for sure. And there's uh, some good stuff coming up here, especially near the end of the year. Yep, we'll get Reno. Reno's kind of the, I mean, Chris Keen with Vegas, it feels like it's in season. Reno seems like the first kind of holiday tournament. And then, of course, we have Scuffle and Midlands coming up. Just cool stuff all over the place. And uh, pretty good D2 tournament, uh, D2, D3 tournament uh, over the weekend as well. So very cool. Uh, just love this time of year. Really starting to get down to, you know, the, the big competitions, starting to see weight classes take shape, starting to see who's going to be where. We had multiple weight changes and debuts over the weekend. Uh, really cool stuff. Yeah, there's a lot to get into, and it, it, it feels like it's a little surprising at this time of the year that there's this many changes, but there are. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to do it, obviously now is the time to pull the trigger. You know, a lot of these guys are – off for semester break, and either now or soon to be. So I, I mean, you, you can't wait any longer. The longer you wait, the worse it's going to be. So I guess if you have to pull the trigger now, is the time to do it, right? Yeah, and also it's the number of weigh-ins and the number of matches. And so you know, if you're a team that wrestles at either Reno, South Beach Duels, Midlands, or Vegas, you know, most of or not Vegas. I'm sorry, Scuffle. You know, you can get anywhere from you know, three to seven or eight matches at those events, depending on which ones they are and whether you're on the front side or back side if you're not in those duels. And that's what a lot of these schools are doing is putting these guys on pitch counts and just trying to get them weigh-ins. You know, some guys are making moves, you know, for good, but, you know, this is the time. And it's also where you can get a lot of competition on less weigh-ins too, and that's important as well. Definitely. Uh, there's also some news out of Virginia Tech we want to talk about. Frank Molinaro leaving the program. Uh, you want to give that a rundown a little bit? I think this is a gigantic story. I, I'm, I cannot believe the more people are not talking about this, that this isn't, you know, a headline on every major wrestling website. Because you're talking about a guy that was three inches away from getting Chimizo's knee to touch, touch the ground and be a bronze medalist in Rio. And he's a free agent right now. And those kind of guys don't pop up very often. You know, I, I got some pretty reliable sources that he wants to make a run at it through 2020 at uh, back down at 65 kilos. And obviously, you know, Virginia Tech was paying him to coach. And, you know, competing is a very justifiably selfish activity. And it's hard to do both. And certainly he's going to be pulling a lot of weight as well to get back down there. And so, you know, he's he's parted terms with or parted ways with those guys. And I don't think it's anything super negative or anything like that. They're just different goals, that sort of thing. And from what I know, he's got it narrowed down to four places, the Olympic Training Center, the Nebraska Regional Training Center, the University of North Carolina Region, Regional Training Center, and the University of Oklahoma Regional Training Center. And I think he's looking to make a move fairly quickly to get started training. Yeah, that makes sense, and it's really, you know, I think we're going to see this type of conflict happen more and more now that we have RTCs, we have more spots for guys to train, and that's that's the good side of this, I, I think, of this story. 
because, you know, you just listed four spots, and all four of those are good landing spots for a guy like this that decides he wants to keep going, he wants to uh, give it another shot in 2020 at a weight. Um, you know, we were talking about it off the air that, you know, we need guys at 65, and I, he, he's going to be a monster 65 under the new weigh-in formats if that's what he's going to do. So uh, really interesting thing. That's the good side is that he's got that option. Um, the downside is, you know, the wrestling community is going to have to adapt to this, and we're not always really good at changing. But, you know, forever it's been if you want to keep training after college, you know, the best way to get, money for that is to go coach somewhere, go be an assistant somewhere, but that's changing. You know, we have more spots at RTCs that are paid that are actually, you know, we want you to come here and train. We, we're not, you're not a coach. You might be a volunteer assistant or something like that, but overall your priority is to train. So we're going to see more guys, I think, seeking those out. Um, you know, your point is well taken about how close he was to metal in Rio. I think a lot of people kind of see him as, on the back half of his career, but, you know, in 2017, he was right there for the world team. So he's not that far removed. He's right there. And with focused training, if he wants to give it one last shot, I, I totally get that. I think it's like all of us, you know, if you're, when you're done, you don't want to look back and go, what if, obviously this dude is better than 99.9% of us. And when you are that close, I mean, he was the eight or nine seed at the Olympic trials and, you know, really spent a lot of time talking about his spirituality and how uh, his ability to be calm that day led him, you know, to make it and had an epic three-match uh, final with Pico. And it's really interesting because if Pico had made the team, you really wonder if Pico would be doing what he's doing right now. I mean, things change. I mean, I, I'm friends with Randy Couture, and he told me the only reason he fought MMA was because he never made an Olympic team. And, and you know, look where it took that guy. So there's so many branches to this tree. The other thing, and I said it to you off the air, 65 kilos is the weight where I think in America there's the biggest short list. And I'm sure we'll talk about this, but you know, it, it, if you go through the Olympic weights, a lot of them it only feels like there's two, maybe three guys realistically that could make the team. It feels like there's six or seven guys that could make it at this weight. And the other thing that I think a lot of people are, there's a lot of rumblings in UWW that they're going to change these weigh-in procedures from, you know, it being scratch and scratch and, and all those kind of things. And so I certainly think there's the James Greens of the world and the Frank Molinaro's of the world that are, you know, they're weighing, you know, how that goes is going to have a big difference on what they do. Yeah, I think that's that's an interesting point and, it's something we have to keep an eye on because especially with some of the weight classes on the edges, I mean, obviously you can't go above heavyweight and every weight class up to that has a, you know, world champion, world medalist type for a team USA. But, you know, you're talking about 65, 70 kilos. Obviously James Green has held down the 70 kilos for a while, but he's, you know, can you get to 65? If you can, that's obviously a better chance to make the team, but flat, flat, some of those guys that have been 65 in the past are going to struggle. So it be interesting to see, I think, if they give a little more weight, suddenly that short list that you talk about, even though it's already pretty long, gets even longer because we have more guys that can make that weight. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. 
Yeah, I think where he lands is a big story. You know, I mean, if he goes to Nebraska, he's, you know, it almost feels like, you know, that James Green is just going to stay at 70. I mean, we saw him try to go to 65 with disastrous results, and I got a chance to interview him. I just think he's too big of a human being to make 143 pounds and be able to perform at his level. But certainly then he would have JG and JB to train with. You know, if he goes to UNC, I don't think he has the same level of training partners, but he's, you know, he's got a Ramos, he's got a Kenny Monday, he's got a Coleman Scott. If he goes to Oklahoma, he's got really good guys, maybe not super top-notch guys in Anthony Colica, Dean Heil, but he does have an Eric Guerrero and a, and a Lou Rosselli that would, you know, pour themselves into him. And then obviously we know who all is out at the OTC. So, I mean, I've imagined it's almost like a recruiting visit where you're going to look at all these things and feel like which one is the best place for you. And money is going to come into it, too, because these RTCs can pay these guys to be here. And I really don't know how the finances work on, uh, on, on the Olympic Training Center, whether they're going to be able to pay as much as the other ones. And Frank's married and has kids. And, I mean, that's got to be a factor in the decision-making process. Yeah, I mean, you never know what someone's personal finances look like. I don't know what his, you know, if his wife has a good job or what. And, of course, making sacrifices to chase a dream is something I'm pretty familiar with in wrestling. But uh, it always factors in. So it'll be. I think you're absolutely right. Um, it'll be really interesting to see where he lands. And I, I think this is not the last one we'll see uh, where this comes up, where somebody signs on to coach and then it turns out they want to, you know, chase their dream and they decide they need to focus full time on wrestling. It's it's an interesting time to be a wrestling fan. It's it's you know there's more out there than there ever has been before. So uh, um, we'll see how this develops. But uh, you know that's really exciting to follow. Uh, really interesting. What is not exciting to follow is the team race in NCAA wrestling this year, Division One. Um, Penn State on Friday wrestled Arizona State in a duel, and. Obviously, going in, we knew Penn State was a heavy favorite. I had a hard time figuring out how Arizona State was going to win. But then you watch that duel, and it's just the Nittany Lions looked incredible. Uh, what did you make of it, David? I'm still waiting if you're going to take my bet on Penn State's best five versus everybody else because their best five, like, and you don't even know who their best five are going to be. Like, conceptually, they could put the last six guys in the finals. RBY is not ranked as a top eight guy yet, but it's just because he hasn't wrestled anybody in the top eight yet. But he sure looks like a top eight guy. You know, Nick Lee looks like he's going to be in that four through eight conversation again. You know, Brady Berge, you know, feels like maybe he's a little farther off than those other guys. And, you know, we've already talked about the Teasdale, Teske, you know, saga, what they're going to do with those guys there. But they don't need them. They definitely don't need a 25-pounder to win nationals. I mean, we have the team points. And they're a 41-point, now I wouldn't say favorite, but 41-point ranked ahead right now. And the other thing is no one's going to out-bonus Penn State. It's not like, oh, well, we're close, but they win a lot of close matches and we get a lot of pins. Like, if it's tied somehow, you still pick Penn State on bonus. So, yeah, I don't know. What is the team point record? Is it like 170 points? Yes, 170 by Iowa. I don't. I'm not saying they can do it, but I'm not saying they can't. I mean, <laughs> I think. Yeah. If, yeah. I mean, they're close, right? If 
if you take 121 and you say RBY can get sixth, that's 131. And you say those guys, those nine guys, can each get four bonus, that's another 36. Now you're at 167. You're right there. And some of those yeah. guys, I would definitely, if you set the over-under on bonus points for Nolf, for Joseph, for Hall, for Rashid, for Nickel, and probably Kassar at four, most of those guys you would pick over. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. You know, I, I think they're going to have to have some guys overperform to get to 170, which the fact that, I mean, the fact that I even have to say that is just testament to how good they are that, you know, we have to make sure that we point that out. But, you know, RBY is kind of the X factor for me. I think, you know, you had him at six just kind of as an example. He's got to – I don't know where this is going. He's really good, and he might – that weight is so stacked, but you just don't know how high he can go right now. It's it's hard to say. I mean, Seth Gross remains out with an injury, so you kind of wonder about that. You know, Michich has been banked up. I don't know where that's going, but, you know, he could come out of nowhere and do something incredible, and, of course, he won't come out of nowhere. But, you know, we saw Nico Megalutis make the finals as a freshman as a double-digit seed. So weird stuff like that happens. I feel like RBY could do that, and if he does that, and they, you know, can push 149 across to be an All-American, which he's close. You know, yeah, I don't think he has the high potential, but 149 is also not as deep of a weight. So if he can push in there and then they do what they're supposed to do at the rest of the weights, yeah, it's just it's, – it's possible that instead of watching them against the Buckeyes like we did last year, that we're watching them against history this year, um, which is, I think, our only chance for any drama in the team race – uh, but that's you know that's that happens sometimes. So it's really interesting to watch. They just look great all the way around. And to do that, I mean, in December you go, okay, maybe you can't hold it. But we've seen them before. They usually peak at the right time. So if this isn't them peaked, we're the rest of the country is in trouble. They can wrestle like crap and still win the tournament. That's a scary thing. Like that's true. And you know, Seth Gross, we don't know if he's going to be 100% when it counts. You know, Misic, like you said, same thing. Soriano's obviously got a history of not being healthy at the end of the year. You know, Mickey Phillippe is deservedly ranked where he is, but he's never done this before. You know, Lezak's up a weight. I'm just going through the guys that are above him. The other thing is, like, right now, he would be, like, the sixth seed at the Big Tens behind Soriano, Misic, Luke Pletcher, Ethan Lezak, in Austin DeSanto. So if you said to me right now, do you think RBY is going to play sixth, better or worse? I'm going to say better. And if he plays better, then he's going to slide up significantly, you know, depending on how much higher in these seedings, you know, because like a Gross and a Fix are in the same, you know, Gross, Fix, and Gomez are in the same conference. I mean, I don't want to beat this to death. I just think that guy's going to end up probably being like an eight or a nine seed. And, you know, he just scores a lot of points a lot of different ways. And he's, it's kind of scary. I mean, the one thing where the rankings are bumped, you know, obviously is, and we'll get to it at 174, but Mark Hall has number one 
place points right now. And he won, and he won convincingly, and I don't know, we'll get into it. But I don't think you just check that box and go, okay, well, he's going to beat Zahid when it counts. I mean, those guys, I think Zahid's still like 10-2 and two now against him. So it's not like that is a wrap or anything like that. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it, you know, we talked about it, I think, with Oklahoma State before the season. I don't remember if it was this year or last year, but that they were kind of ranked as high as they were going to go. And that's kind of true for Penn State especially after that win. RBY is the notable exception, but a lot of their guys feel like they don't. I mean, obviously, when you rank number one, you can't go any higher than that, right? But I don't know. It just feels like, it, like you said, they could wrestle under their seed considerably and still win. So we'll keep an eye on that. I know we're not breaking any news there, but, you know, when when you wrestle a team like Arizona State, it was kind of their first test of the year, and they just looked really, really good. Um, anybody looking for holes, I don't think you found any. <laughs> well, the other thing I would say to you is this. I, I agree that they're, over, you know, like not overranked, but sort of ranked at the peak in a lot of weights. But Anthony Kassar looks like he's going to make the finals. And Shakur right. Rashid looks like, I mean, I don't think you go, oh, Shakur Rashid's going to get killed by Emery Parker. You know, and if he can get away from Miles Martin and to the bottom, he can make the finals. We don't have those guys ranked that high. Right. So what's crazy is they could actually move up. I mean, they could move up at a couple weights, and you wouldn't go, well, that's crazy. You know what I mean? Like Kassar, you know, like I said, him moving up, I mean, he's going to get a chance to at least wrestle Stoll and Stevenson, you know, at the very least at the Big 12. So if he can beat one of them, I mean, we talked about how Desi probably has a pretty easy path to staying undefeated. As long as he beats one of them, he's in the 2-3 matchup. I mean, and especially if Gable Stevenson goes undefeated and ends up on the top half and he ends up on the bottom half with Desi, if he beat him, that wouldn't be shocking. And, you know, you look at 84, Kassar, or Rashid, rather, right now he's three. So, I mean, I don't know where you would set the odds on him and Parker, but I don't think Parker's some gigantic favorite. So No, I don't. Parker would be a gigantic favorite, but then again, I don't think Renan would be that much of an underdog either. So it'd be really, I, I I agree with you. And there's, there is some room out at their, you know, their top guys, those two guys in particular, it's just, you know, it seems like we're about where we should be on their rankings. They're not, you know, RBY, like I said, it's a notable exception, but um, you know, some of that, that's what happens to proven teams. They come into the season with a little more, solidified rankings we've seen them they have the resumes um so they don't you know some of those teams we knew preseason were way underrated we just couldn't rank their guys where they should be to start the year because they didn't have the resume yet but we knew their talent was there uh, penn state once kassar took over at heavyweight we already had neville's way up there right so it didn't wasn't a huge change we pretty much knew what they were going to have um so uh, they're so good though so good yeah. I, that was really entertaining to watch, and usually when one team's blown out the other, it's not that entertaining, but that was very entertaining. I, I also think on the other side of it, it I think it's a wake-up call for Arizona State. Like, I mean, I'm close to some of the guys there in the program, and, you know, they're going to have to make a shift because unlike the Big Ten where they have a lot of difficult, tough duels where they can keep testing themselves and move up in the rankings the second half of the year, the Pac-12 schedule is obviously pretty light. If they don't get this turned around and have a good Midlands, 
they have a lot of guys that really can't move up that much in the rankings. And, you know, I think we agree as a heat, it doesn't matter if he's one or two. You know, I mean, it's either Amin or Lewis in the semifinals at this point. You know, he's proven he's, you know, really, really good. But some of these other guys are more draw dependent on how they do at nationals. And, you know, they've, they've got to wrestle well at Midlands. And it'll be interesting to see if Zeke and company can, can use that as a catalyst or a pivot point to make, make their second half of the season better. I think personally that they are so loading up for next year with keeping Teamer in red shirt and red shirting Tanner Hall. And I think it's, man, we're going to be in the hunt to win it next year. And I think they almost just haven't focused as much on this year as they should. Yeah, that's an interesting concept. I mean, considering when you look at the, you know, the way that duel matched up, you're really only, I think you can only be disappointed at 49 and 74, really, right? Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I think they thought they had a puncher's chance at 33, but, you know, I mean, that that was a puncher's chance for sure. <laughs> you move a guy up, it's like, you see, it seems like you're trying to win the duel, and I guess that was their best chance to win, to get to that fourth match, and then you hope to pull a huge upset somewhere, but uh, <laughs> that was an interesting move. I didn't, did not see that one coming. Yeah, I actually knew it was coming, and it didn't, it didn't surprise me, you know, if, if you have two guys and you know they can both beat this guy, then it really it doesn't matter, right? Like you take you move your best guy up and take a shot. So, you know, I mean that 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 didn't surprise me, but it surprised me just not not the result, but the level of the result. You know, like no right. doubt. So yeah, I mean that that was rough. If you're one of, if you're one of those guys, you're like man, it was a rough night. And I think it even started at 25, where you know they were working on a major, and then. Courtney just gives it up right at the end, you know, like there's momentum that moves all different ways, you know, and, and that was a big thing for Penn State. Obviously didn't matter at all in the dual meet result, but I think, you know, they, they were leaving cheering 197 instead of the other way around. So, you know. That, yeah, that looked like a classic case of a, of a kid that's getting, you know, his first exposure to Rec Hall, a big, huge match in D1. I mean, obviously he registered last year and hadn't, I don't think he'd wrestled in any duels this year. And so it looked like a classic case of he came out, ball of energy, looked great, and just dumped all his energy by the by the end of the second period. He was hanging on pretty good. But he looked really good when he was wrestling well. So it, good, a good overall, but yeah, that dropping it at the end definitely got the Penn State crowd into it, and you don't want that. Yeah, they they got, you know, that place is insane up there, right? So, Absolutely. Yeah. Is it time to get into the rankings now? Yes, sir. All right. Tell us who they're brought to us by. We're sponsored by Resolite Sports Products, your one source for both classic and lightweight mats. From their zip mat, the first and only tape-free mat to offer a waterproof interlocking connection system, to their DigiPrint mat, the only fully customizable mat featuring unlimited graphics, that brings unrivaled school branding to your new lightweight mat. Visit Resolite.com for all your wrestling needs. Resolite, the mat company. And I did see that you got a couple tweets about some pretty cool Resolite mats out there. I did. Shout out to Hood River Valley High School in Oregon for tweeting me their mat. It is a black mat with their logo in the middle, but all of the out of bounds is ringed by fire. A little Johnny Cash action, ring of fire. I guarantee you they play that during their duels because it's it looks fantastic. I mean, just just beautiful. 
So uh, good job by them. Um, if you have a mat that can beat it, nobody took me up on my challenge. Uh, I didn't see any other mats that could beat that one. So if you've got one that you like, tweet me, Alex Steen, UNAT, and we'll uh, we'll see what you, we'll see what you've got. But uh, that one was really cool, so it's going to be tough to beat. For sure. Going to 125 pounds, this was one of our weight changes. Vito Arugiao, as we've talked about for a while, made made it down to 125, looked pretty solid, beat Jay Schwarm 17-7 to in their duel. Um, you know, looked like he had good energy, a little floppy at times. Uh, I don't, you know, you never know what that's about, whether that had to do with the weight cut or just, you know, got in a weird position in a match, but... Overall, beating Schwarm 17 to seven is a, is a good debut. Uh, did you see anything else? Not anything really crazy down there, but it was good to see him down there. He's an immediate metal threat. I mean, even though we don't have him ranked, he's sort of like RBY, but he's got a really strong, you know, track record of being good at age group stuff. And this is a weight where there's a lot of guys that if you go, these guys didn't place. You know that are five, six, seven, eight. It wouldn't shock you. So, you know, he's a guy that I think steps right up in the conversation. Also makes Cornell a lot better. You know, in terms not only of dual meets, but in terms of the nationals. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think a lot of us thought he was going to win the 133 pound spot, but Chaz Tucker looks like he's picked up his offense and he was already really hard hard to score on so uh this makes them even better uh and of course Yanni who we'll talk about in a minute uh is back and looking great so uh good for them before we get to 141 was there anything at 133 did anybody move I didn't notice I'm looking to see uh we moved Brandon Patel in from Lehigh just because it's been long enough that you know we're, we just frankly got tired of waiting on Scotty Parker and then uh, Colin Valdivia has lost uh, Funakoshi from Kyle Poly the other night. So that'll he was at 25. That'll be reflected in the rankings next week. Yeah, a little Monday-Tuesday action with Northwestern out west. So that's cool. Always nice to have some, some early week wrestling to keep us tied over. Moving up to 141. As I mentioned, Yanni looked great, beat Josh Albert 12-2. to I mean, Albert's a rock-solid wrestler that could All-American himself. So uh, that's a big win. Looked as good as, it, as he ever does, uh, which is nice to see. Obviously, he had gotten a few matches in at an open tournament before that, but this was the first time we saw him against a tournament-caliber wrestler, and uh, he looked like the national champ. Uh, the other <laughs> the guy that made you pull pull your hair out a little bit this week, Chad Red, beat Jamal Morris of NC State three to two, uh, but had lost to AC Headley the day before five to one. Uh, what are you doing with Chad Red? Well, you you actually were really helpful, especially at one eighty four, which we'll get to. Chad Red's this guy. He's like Kennedy Monday last year, and like uh, Tommy Thorne, you know, a couple years ago, where they beat guys ranked above them and they lose to guys ranked below them and I, mean, I think people understand like generally in rankings like if you're Jason Nolf we go okay well okay David lost to Alex Dean but that doesn't count everybody loses to him and you just kind of go like well David beat the number two guy and then he lost to the number 27 guy it's like okay what do you do with this and so I do think that trip that Nebraska took was tough man they wrestled like seven o'clock on Friday night or Saturday night I think and then, like, noon or 1 on Sunday, like, the next day. I mean, so they wrestled two matches well inside of 24 hours, had to make weight twice. 
everything else, you know. So it was, you know, it was a tough meet. I mean, Red falls in at 18, and he's still, I mean, it's weird. He's he's above Headley, even though he lost to him head-to-head, and he's behind Morris, even though he lost to him. But it's more of a body of work thing, and it's also he he had beaten Sam Turner, so it kind of helped, you know, put him there. And it's also, hey, you're an All-American the year before, and you beat Dean Heil in the most important tournament of the year, so he's still getting some mileage off of that. Yeah, I don't think there was any right answer necessarily that just jumped out of this on that one when we talked about it this weekend. So, And I, I did skip at 133. I'm glad you mentioned the NC State-Nebraska uh, duel. Obviously, that was a tough trip. Nebraska wrestled pretty well against NC State on Sunday, uh, but Tariq Wilson ended up winning it for the Wolfpack, had to get a tech in the last match of the night, and did. Uh, that was really – I watched that one on ESPN and uh, the streaming service, and that was a really good crowd. Uh, they were into it. Obviously, they knew what they needed to win the duel. Um, they needed the tech to send it to Criteria, and they won on Criteria. So that was really cool to see. Uh, yeah. Tariq looked great, and, you know, that's just that, – that's a good situation down there. Uh, Pat Papalizio and his staff are doing a great job, and the uh, the – the rest of the community is coming out to support him, so great to see. Moving up to 149, we talked about it briefly, but uh, Brady Berge gets the one-point win over Josh Maruka 5-4. to four. They were next to each other, so you flipped them, right? Yep, 19-20, and 20, really simple. And then Vandermeer lost to Oster, I think, yes, last night like we talked about, so that'll be reflected next week as well. Sounds good. I mean, Berge, Maruka, I think both of those guys – around a 16, around a 12 type guys, and we'll see if they can climb into that All-American race. But I don't think we'd be too surprised if we saw that match on the backside of Nationals. Right. Wouldn't surprise you. Yeah, I don't think it would surprise anybody that follows this very closely. Moving up to 157, Tyler Berger beat Hayden Hidley 5-2 to two, uh, in that duel that we talked about. That was kind of – so they started at 141, so that was kind of the point where you went, oh, Nebraska is here and they have a chance to win this duel. Uh, Berger got a takedown, and the, in the third, they, Hidley got away. And then as he was trying to mount, come back and get a, a, the winning takedown, Berger take, took him down again. So that was really interesting to see. Um, and all of a sudden, I mean, I don't know. I meant to look this up. Uh, I will do it for next week. The under-23 guys that, that went uh, out to do the under-23 World Championships this fall – haven't had the best record. Um, I've, I've heard that narrative being spouted by a few people around in a couple of message board posts. I didn't have time to look it up to see if it has legs, but uh, with Hidley, it'll be it's interesting to see because obviously coming into the year, he had not lost to anyone but Jason Nolf in an official NCAA match, and now he's taken losses to Larry Early and Tyler Berger. So it's interesting to interesting to wonder about. Are you worried about him at all? I don't know if I'm worried. I think it's an interesting weight. Like, you know, Nolf has clearly won. It feels like, to me, if you're putting guys on levels, like Deacon and Pantaleo are sort of on the next level. And, you know, we're clearly going off Pantaleo's past track record because this year, you know, he's not wrestling. To me, the weirdest thing, and, and you know, I, I don't know if complained is the right word, but went through this with you. I'm like, you know, Hayden's got to drop to seven because – Caleb Young is four. He beat Griffin Perriott. 
I was really hoping Tyler Berger, you know, and I, I had these results just, you know, we go to a different website and then, you know, put, use them to do the rankings. I'm like, well, maybe Perriott didn't lose to Berger, and I could move Berger and, and, and Hayden both above Perriott, but Perriott beat Berger. So it goes Young pinned Perriott. Perriott beat Berger. Berger beat uh, Hayden Heidley. So he has to drop to seven. Now, if you said to me, who are all the number seven-ranked guys in the country, and you can pick one of them to do better, at first glance, he's probably the guy. You know, he was the runner-up a year ago. I think, you know, he doesn't have a real diverse offense, so, you know, he's probably easier to scout than a lot of guys. He wrestles a lot of close matches. He's not super explosive, so he's a guy that needs to wrestle from the lead. But certainly Obi Blanc and... Pat Papalizio and the rest of those guys are going to get this fixed, and that's why they wrestle the schedule they do to get these looks. I also think it was kind of a revenge match for Berger. Uh, he got smoked in this duel last year when they came through, so you know that was that was a thing, you know. So, and then we're going to talk about this, but there's a pretty significant name that is making the move from 57 to 65, so that was you know interesting as well. Yeah, that, that was Kennedy Monday who wrestled against Nebraska on Saturday up at 165, and he's going to stay there. Uh, he lost to Isaiah White 5-4. to four. And then <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, that match is kind of the Isaiah White we have come to know in the uh, college ranks. You know, he won 5-4, to four, good quality opponent, beat him, got the win. Um, and then the next day, Isaiah White goes out against Thomas Bullard and beats him 13 to three, which I looked it up. That is White's second bonus point win of the year, and only the second time he's hit double digits. And he did it against a ranked Thomas Bullard. And honestly, I watched that match. He could have had two or three more takedowns uh, that he just missed. So I don't know where that offense came from, but I'm sure the coaching staff would like to see more of that. He's a super high ceiling guy. I mean, he was a huge recruit coming out of Oak Park River Forest. He, Vincenzo was banged up, but he smashed Vincenzo at the finals of Fargo. And, you know, he's a guy that you go, his ceiling, you know, it's like the pretty girl theory. Like, on their best day, this is the prettiest one. And you're like, his ceiling is so high. But then, like, he'll lose to Evan Jarrell. I mean, he had a losing record, I think, or a 500 record going into Vegas, right? And yeah. we're just like, I mean, on this... You know, just on the record itself, like, this dude can't be in the top 25 at all. Like, top 25. And then he goes and wins the tournament. And it was not a weak tournament. So, yeah. You know, Nebraska's got two of these guys that are really hard to rank, right? I mean, on his best day, he's in overtime of the Nationals with Vincenzo and had him on the ropes. On his worst day, you know, he loses in the round of 12. So, he's a... He's a guy that is a gray hair, hair loss guy as a coach for sure. But, um, you know, maybe he's starting to figure it out. If he figures it out, he's going to be really dangerous. And he's a guy that we're not talking about as a challenger to Vincenzo that is going to be there. And um, the other thing is, you know, and, I, and, you, and I'm going to let you make your note about this. I think Vincenzo Joseph might be the least respected guy that's on pace to win four national titles I've thought about in a long time. Yeah, I mean, obviously we we didn't have social media and, you know, the Internet for a lot of, co- a lot of the re- years of college wrestling. 
Um, even in our lifetime, we didn't really have it for several of those. But, yeah, Joseph, I mean, part of it is the team he's on. He's a little overshadowed by some of the guys on his own team. Um, and part of it is, you know, you watch him wrestle. And, you know, early in his freshman year, he got beat by the kid from Stanford. And, you know, he had Imar in the way that a lot of people thought would beat him. And then he got beat by Marinelli last year. And, you know, stuff happens to him. But, and he lost in the you know, Big Ten Finals, too. Yeah. Right. He lost to Imar. So I, I think – both years we weren't really thinking he was going to win the national title until he did it and so now he's two for two and he's the I think I read he's the only Penn State guy to win the first two I I know he would be the first one to win the first three Um, so that's interesting with all the greats that they've had go through there even before Kale got there but yeah I have this note that is Vincenzo Joseph much improved? And I softened the language a little bit because I looked at his stats from last year, and he did have a couple of bonus point wins over good wrestlers, but he has started the year so well. And He wrestled Josh Shields in the duel. That was kind of his first big test. And Shields is a guy, you know, that could be a top-four type challenger, definitely looks like an All-American, and Joseph made him look, I mean, average. It was a he easy major decision. Yeah. Absolutely. Easy major decision. Never looked in trouble. Shields didn't have much for him. And, you know, it's hard to tell. It's one match, whatever. Uh, we definitely have seen that Joseph is putting up a much higher bonus rate than he has in the past. Is he getting even better? I mean, is that possible when you're already a two-time national champion? I mean, I know it is, but has he jumped levels somehow? I think so. Um, the, the couple points there, like the match it's with Arizona State, he won a scramble and got six points off of it. And I think it was the right call, but it was a quick call. And, and then he, you know, it's hard. He built on the lead, but it's a lot easier to wrestle ahead 6-0 than, you know, wrestle 2-1 or something like that. The other point I would make is this, and I, and I was talking to a buddy of mine about this. I cannot think of a team in the country that if you took Vincenzo Joseph off of Penn State and put him on that team, that he's not the lead guy on their poster. Even Iowa with Spencer Lee. Because he's won two. You know, I mean, like, yes, Miles Martin could win two, but he's you know already lost the chance to win two. Like, he's the guy everywhere else, and he's like the third fiddle up there. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I think even Mark Hall a little bit just because of his um, high school career and how you know how he came out and he won as a freshman and all, and all the stuff with the rivalry with Sahid, which we're going to talk about in a minute. You know, even he kind of you think I think a lot of people think of him before Vincenzo Joseph, and, and you know, and we're you know it doesn't matter you know who who you think of first, whatever you know the the accolades are what they are. He you know he's got two national titles, but. It's interesting you note that. Yeah, I think there's no question he's not, you know, that he's been overlooked by a lot of people. And if he's jumped levels, that's really scary because he was already really, really good. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, he. what's crazy is if you go, who's the guy on Penn State's team most likely to win nationals? You Most people would say Nolfer Nickel. And then who's the second yeah. guy? Nolfer Nickel. Who's the third guy? Oh, okay, Vincenzo. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. Like, that is crazy. And you know what's going to happen next year? Like, I guess I think there's a pretty strong rumor Zahid will move up, so that probably wouldn't be the case. But otherwise, 
people would be talking about Mark Hall's the heat again. And like, by the way, there's a dude in your room that's about to win four titles, you know, at least conceptually at this point. So right. it's insane. Yeah, and hopefully, you know, it's funny because some guys get underrated until they're overrated. I, I hope that doesn't happen with Joseph, but if he's jumped a level, he's going to have to go a long way to ever be overrated, right? He could quit now. He's the reason why Imar was not a four-timer. That's like, for sure. That alone is legendary stuff. No right? doubt. Yeah, for sure. No doubt. Yeah. Moving up to 174 pounds, uh, we talked, touched on it with Hall and Valencia a little bit. Hall wins the match 4-0. Um, kind of surprising to me. I think a lot of people thought Valencia, especially after that NCAA Finals match last year and with the summer Valencia had in freestyle, I thought maybe he might open the gap a little bit. And Hall won the only real scramble of the match that resulted in a takedown. Uh, it was a nice job by Valencia in deep on a single, and Hall picked the right time to put his weight into him and won the scramble that resulted in it. Got the only takedown and rode tough. Uh, he looked really good. You know, I mean, we know Mark Hall is great anyway. It was just surprising to see, I don't know, not how easy he did it, but just he looked really prepared. Um, and for somebody that they both wrestled each other multiple times now, it's weird to watch a guy and just seem to have all the answers in a match where both of them know what the other one wants to do. Yeah, I also think, you know, Zahid doing those interviews and pointing out that he was 10-1 and one and, you know, all the people online just saying, well, Zahid's going to win again. I mean, the, as good as these guys are, motivation, bulletin board stuff, and probably nobody has a bulletin board anymore, but, you know, I mean, that idea... It's still a real thing, and you know, and a guy as good as him feels disrespected. That that's not good. Now, having said that, you know, maybe he was better off letting sleeping dogs lie. Like I think Mark Hall would have had a better chance to win in nationals if he had beat him four to nothing. I certainly think Mark Hall knows he can win now, although he already knew that. But I don't think Sahid now is going to look past anything, and and however hard he was working. He's going to work harder. I thought it was interesting. It didn't feel like Zahid was 100% committed to getting up in the third period, and that was probably anybody can win one scramble. Hall did a really smart job of sprawling, sprawling, sprawling. Oh, you think you're going to get me in bumping, you know, which which you teach, but he does it as well as anybody. But just the the lack of I have to get out and, and get going on my attacks kind of surprised me. Yeah, I think especially once it got over a minute of riding time, it seemed like that kind of took any lasting motivation away from Zahid. And yeah, I, I kind of saw what you saw. And whether that's, you know, whether that was motivation or just, you know, being not quite in top shape yet, uh, I don't know. I haven't seen Valencia on the other other matches he's wrestled this year. So, but yeah, I don't think anyone expects him to go away. He'll be back with good motivation, and we'll. We'll get another excellent addition of that at Nationals almost almost assuredly. You never know what's going to happen, but uh seems like those two are, are on a collision course. Um, Nick Gravina of Rutgers made his season debut at 174 as well. Good to see him back um, using another year. We'll see what he has, um, obviously, with his injury history. You just never know. Just hope he stays healthy, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's a, a lot of these guys, right? Like, you, know, you just want him to be able to get to the finish line and, do their best, you know, whatever their best is, you know, you just don't want it to be taken from them. So, yeah, for sure on there. 
moving up to 184 pounds. Max Dean beat Drew Foster six to five, and that combined with uh, Nick Renan's weekend. Well, Nick Renan beat Taylor Venz eight six. Taylor Venz also lost to Chip Ness, and those results kind of threw 184 into a bit of a tailspin. A lot of circular results. A beats B. B beats C, C beats A kind of stuff, and we, we sat down and talked about it for a while. Just ended up really looking at quality wins, right, uh, And you know, versus how many losses you've had. It, it almost turned into a group ranking, right? You did a great job of helping me on this, and I really appreciate it. But basically, you know, it was easy to say, okay, Rashid slides up a spot, Nick Renan slides up a spot, uh, and now we have this group of Ryan Price, Drew Foster, Taylor Venz, Zach Sabatsky, Louis Dupre, Max Dean, uh, Chip Ness. And where do these guys go? And you did a really, you made it easy for me saying, this guy has this many quality wins and this many good losses and this many bad losses. And we, we should also say that I made the decision that Dakota Gear, who is the next guy up, just didn't belong on that tier yet. And he hasn't done anything wrong. He's undefeated, but he just hasn't wrestled anybody. And, and now it might be the case. He might not even be at that weight class. But those guys were all on a tier. So, I mean, Andy Hamilton called me last night, and he's like, you do know Max Dean beat Drew Foster, right? You know, because we still have Foster above him. But, you know, it, it's, it's, it's circular, you know. And so, I mean... Drew Foster also took third at Vegas, and Max Dean took sixth. And I am heavily biased towards how you did in a tournament. I think, you know, that's because that's how you're going to be judged at the end of the year. So, you know, but. Well, and that's the hardest part, right, is when you have a case like this where somebody gets a big win and you want to move them up because, you know, you feel like they deserve it. But when you other results conspire and suddenly you're looking at, four or five guys that all could reach that spot, and you just have to make a judgment call based on their record. Sometimes you just don't get rewarded for a good win, which it's not good, but it's just the way rankings work sometimes. Yeah, and you're kind to, to point that out in case anybody decides to throw apples or get upset. Um, <laughs> you know, it is. It's a, it is a very interesting process, ranking, because at the beginning of the year, it's heavily weighted towards what did you do last year, right? That's because that's how we have to start everybody. Otherwise, we're all zero and zero, and we're just drawing names out of the hat. Every week that that stuff moves in the rearview mirror, it means less, and your current results mean more. Till you know, by you know, obviously, some by literally by the conference tournaments last year doesn't mean anything at all. But it also is a factor of you know, like I don't think like. Last year, Stevan Misic lost to uh, he lost thirteen to four, thirteen to three, to um, God, I'm just oh, to, to Santo, and you know that was a problem for a long time in his ranking. And then by the they wrestled so differently the second half of the year that when they wrestled at nationals, I don't think most people thought DeSanto was the favorite in that match. So. Right. You know, even though he won, and he won badly, and he didn't, there were no bad calls or anything. I think the other part of that is, well, a lot of dudes that wrestle different on the back side of the bracket than they do on the front side of the bracket. And, you know, they wrestled on the back in December, and they wrestled on the front in March. So um, I will say this. You're, when you're ranking, you're not trying to do predictions. 
which is a whole nother thing about how good you think they are. When you're ranking, you're trying to rank them based on their overall body of work. And you have this line, which I like, as you go, there's probably not a bad answer. And I like that um, because somebody else could interpret it a different way. And, you know, the line I'll say to Andy is, I have them ranked this way, but if you think it should be different, you could probably convince me. And, you know, you know, we've also said sometimes you really believe in a ranking and sometimes you just have to put numbers eventually next to guys' names so we can put them out. And the Foster through Chip Ness thing, um, I do think Chip Ness, even though he beat Venn, is probably at the bottom of that based on losing to Max Dean 10 to nothing and DNPing at Vegas. But the rest of it is really, you know, is really up in the air. Yeah, 184 is a perfect example of there are multiple right answers, and as long as you don't get one of the wrong ones, we're fine. So, yeah, for sure. <laughs> that's a good example. And you, you mentioned it, um, Dakota Gear bumped up to 197 pounds and made your decision, Jacob Steely of Northern Colorado, in that duel. And it's interesting. There are a lot of rumors swirling. I don't have any inside information. I live down here in Oklahoma, but I don't you know, I don't have any anything solid Um but it's interesting because the rumors swirling that Preston Weigel is injured again, that he got injured in practice. Um, the fact that Dakota Gear bumped up to 197 when it doesn't really make sense to do so. I mean, they they shut out Northern Colorado, so it obviously wasn't a lineup situation for you know didn't need it for, to win the duel. I mean, maybe you could argue that he bumped up to get a quality opponent. Maybe I don't know, but it seems odd that he would do that, and so that's. Re- fueling rumors that gear will move up to 97 permanently and then when when slash if we ever see joe smith again that whoever he moves between chandler rogers and jacoby smith or joe himself could end up at 184 so potentially a lot of shuffling for the cowboys at the back half of the lineup yeah and you know there's still rumors that dayton fix is going down to 25 so I don't think that this is this almost feels like if you have two quarterbacks, you have none kind of thing. Obviously, it's not the perfect analogy, but, you know, you want your guys to be at weight. You want to be able to train them for certain guys. You want to put them through training cycles, and you want them focused on winning matches, and it's hard when you have to focus on winning a wrestle-off. Now, obviously, right. you know, you recruit depth for a reason, and, you know, it's an interesting dynamic because Chandler Rogers is a senior and Jacoby Smith is a senior. Joe Smith is a junior. I think Dakota Gear is a sophomore, maybe. Um, you know, I feel bad for Weigel. He didn't get healthy last year. You know, he's built like a brick house. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, it's not a hard work rehab kind of thing. You know, but it's just, I mean, it's maybe sad sounds like a dumb word, but it's its very disappointing that, um, he's not able to perform, and you know it doesn't feel like he's doing anything wrong. It's just frustrating, right? So yeah, if if the rumors are true and he's hurt and he ends up missing the year, I mean he could definitely get a sixth year, which you know if he wants it, I hope he gets it. But yeah, he's really struggled with injuries, and that's you know it's never something you want to see. We touched on it with Gravina a little bit. You just hope that if that's if this is that's it for this year, then. I hope he is healthy and gets a chance to show what he can do next year because when he's been right, I mean, he beat the national champion last year, so that's all you really need to say. Um, elsewhere at 197, a lot of interesting results towards the bottom of the rankings. Uh, you know, Randall Diabe of Appalachian State beat Jake Woodley. 
Uh, Malik McDonald beat Eric Schultz. Uh, and Kellen Stout knocked off Noah Adams as Adams continues to have a uh, a strange freshman season. I'll put it that way. Uh, what else, do you see anything else? And what did you make of those results? No, I saw that was it. But I will say this: when I think now about you know with Nebraska, you've got Chad Red who's hard to rank. You've got Albert or uh, Isaiah White who's hard to rank. You've got Taylor Venz who's hard to rank. Eric Schultz who has been all over the freaking place this year. Like, literally on my Facebook memories have popped up that I was in Nebraska about a year ago interviewing Mark Manning and and Jordan Burroughs and, and having dinner with Coach Manning and my friend Jason High. Like, I might have to call Coach Manning and just say, you know, whatever your guys are, can they just start beating the guys below them and, and maybe slowly upsetting the guys above them? But, you know, you're, you're causing a lot of extra work on this end. I, I say that jokingly, but, I mean, you know, yeah, the Malik McDonald result didn't make it life any easier. And this was supposed to be a slow week. Last week was supposed to be a slow week. This week was supposed to be a slow week. And then, you know, ne- this time next week supposed to be a slow week. And then it's hell for two or three weeks with with all the tournaments and, and South Beach coming up. Yeah, I mean, we'll have Reno, I think it's Thursday, um, if I remember right. So is, yeah. we'll, have, we'll have some results there. Uh, but yeah, otherwise the Christmas break hits and we wait. Uh, the only big result at 285 did not factor into the rankings because it happened after Sunday. Uh, I believe it happened today, as I recall. But uh, Trevor Rasmussen of Stanford upset Conan Jennings two to nothing as the Cardinal upset the Wildcats. So uh, big win for Stanford out west. Um, I hope Northwestern's enjoying the weather at least. Um, <laughs> getting away from Chicago in the winter is always a good thing, but. Uh, yeah, that was an interesting result, and we'll see that next week, correct? Yeah, we'll see that. Congratulations to Jason Borelli, 100 dual meet wins. Um, also, Mason Campbell is uh, transferring to Cam. Mason Smith, excuse me, is transferring to Campbell, so he'll pop in the rankings somewhere at you know 141 or 49, depending on probably 49, you know, based on you know when he comes in, you know, as a guy that's you know done you know made appearances at the national tournament before but yeah you know the thing is it's a lot easier to move those guys at the beginning of the year when now these other guys all got you know a lot of matches underneath their belt it's a different deal yeah it's it's really hard to rank guys this time of year you know whether they transferred whether they've been injured whether they just you know like stole i know has been injured but he's got one match so Guys like that make for a difficult, as, especially when they've got guys behind them that are accumulating quality wins. It's hard to decide how long do I give them before, you know, I move somebody over them. So that's always a tough decision to make. I don't envy you there. Um, but, well, yeah. The worst we'll, one was Desi, right? That was the worst one. <laughs> yeah. Of course, we didn't even know he was coming back until they announced that. So yeah. we'll see what happens. Um but, yeah, so that's the rankings for this week. Like we mentioned, um, Reno is the big thing that we're looking forward to. What else do you look forward to this weekend? Well, I'm going to Kansas City to uh, promote uh, my next charity wrestling event. So I'll be out at the Liberty Park Hill Duel, and it's a double duel followed by Missouri UVA at, at Park Hill High School. And then uh, Friday, Saturday is the KC Stampede. So. Lots of wrestling in my future this weekend, and then uh, we come back, and I actually think you and I will be spending some portion of Christmas Eve morning on the phone together doing a podcast, which is 
if nothing else, a testament to how committed we are to the process. Maybe we'll do it Sunday um, morning or instead of Monday. But, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty light week. Um, you know, there's – I don't mean in – there's literally less than, you know, 15 events. So, um, you know, probably not going to be a ton of changes in the rankings this week. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And, of course, you know, I mean, Christmas falls on a Tuesday. How inconvenient for us because that's our usual podcast day. I, <laughs> I, I'd like, I'd like the, the calendar to be a little more considerate. But otherwise – uh, we will make it. We will make it happen because I know you all will be sitting around and you'll be tired of your families by, I don't know, two o'clock Christmas Day or so, and ready for a little uh, podcast intervention and talk about wrestling. So, uh, wh- whether it all goes to seed or we'll have a million upsets, we'll do the podcast either way. So, well, we'll, we'll, and we'll preview South Beach duels and we'll preview Midlands, and, and those will be really exciting. And then the next week we'll be able to preview Scuffle. So and there's a chance I um I might be coaching down at Scuffle, still trying to figure all that out. But um, so there's a yeah this it's gonna be a fun. I've been traveling a lot for wrestling and that might be one more trip. So um, I might have some news there. It should be interesting. Very cool. Very cool. I, I won't spoil it. I have an inkling of what that might be, but I'll I'll let our <laughs> listeners speculate. Um, but, yeah, so check out Reno on Thursday. That should be very, very cool. Oklahoma State looks like they're taking their starters. Uh, be interesting to see who else shows up. Uh, you know, Wyoming looks like they're going to be out there. Uh, and we might. It's going to be really interesting to, to see who goes out there. I mean, Arizona State might send some guys. We might see some Fresno State guys. It'll be interesting to see uh, what the brackets look like when they go up. But, uh, you know, Oklahoma State's team, just who they bring and, what weights they go will be news enough. So check that out. And uh, otherwise, you got any more words for the people? No, man. Um, it's it's always fun doing this. And it'll the next couple weeks, you know, really from now till March, like this is sort of the week to catch our breath, and then we're going to get into some really good stuff. So Absolutely. So for everybody out there, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Enjoy your time off if you get time off. And all you wrestlers out there, don't eat too much because you got to make weight sooner or later. <laughs> For David Merrick, this is Alex Steen signing off once again. <laughs>